Hey there, podcast listeners, and welcome to this week's Physics Central podcast. I'm Mike Lucibella, coming to you this week from Comic-Con International in San Diego, California. What I love about Comic-Con is getting the chance to talk to people and see how real science can influence science fiction. One writer I spoke with is Amy Berg, who's worked on sci-fi shows like Eureka, The 4400, and Threshold. She told me this cool story about what sometimes happens when scientist meets writer. I remember once in an airport um, in uh, Vancouver, uh, a woman who was a, uh, a neuroscientist saw that I was wearing a Eureka shirt and just assumed I was a fan and, and just sort of started talking to me about how much she loved the show. And I was like, well, yeah, I actually wrote that episode. And she was like, oh, my God. But she had no idea that like I was actually as big a fan of her and what she does as, as she is of me. And she just couldn't like conceive of that. And now we're friends. And, uh, and she does consulting for me on, uh, on uh, some of the neuroscience type stuff that I write for uh, the shows I'm on. There are lots of ways that sci-fi authors can integrate science into their stories. I talked to Dan Wilson, author of How to Survive a Robot Uprising and a few other books about the robot apocalypse. He told me how he uses science to keep his stories as realistic as possible. Well, I'm really lucky that I started out getting a degree in computer science, moved on to get a PhD in robotics, and just spent a lot of time actually becoming a scientist. And so now I have this superpower, which is I can call a scientist at any time and ask them just, you know, what the heck is going on with their research. And I'm, and I'm also very familiar with you know, going to an academic conference, reading uh, the proceedings, you know, pulling out papers and pulling out the interesting facts from it. So uh, I'm constantly skimming from my, my science uh, background whenever I'm writing new science fiction. How would a reader be able to see some of your background in science work its way into your science fiction? Well, I think I'm just very rigorous about the framework and the grounding. And, you know, Honestly, nobody wants to read every technical detail of, of, of whatever killer robot or brain implant you've, you've integrated. And so the real trick is, you know, the part of the glacier that's hidden under the water. It's having a really solid framework, understanding what's within the realm of possibility, what's cheating just a little bit, and what's just total BS. And then trying to stick, you know, to some, something that's consistent. Um, tell me a little bit about uh, writing How to Survive a Robot Uprising. Well, I was still in grad school, and I had this funny idea that uh, I would write a book where I just completely seriously uh, considered what you would do if robots attacked us. And so I had access to all these professors. I was at Carnegie Mellon. It's just this huge robotics institute. People are working on everything. It's cutting-edge research. And I just asked them, what would you do? And I put it all together in a book and made it a little funny. And then, um, and, you know, I managed to get it published uh, somehow. <laughs> Do you think having a background in science um, helps make what you write more believable or, or better writing? I hope so. You know, I hope that having this background and also not that I'm some genius, but I just am able to call people and able to have scientists read what I've written, you know, and, and vet it. And I, what I do is I just give it to my most anal, like, very specific, lo logical scientist friends. And I say, just tell me whatever pisses you off. And then they'll come back with all these eensy teensy little notes, and I fix all that stuff. And then, uh, luckily, having access to that type of thinker, I think, really helps me erase a lot of the uh, a lot of what would bother that type of thinker out there. Do you think it goes the other way? Do you think scientists are influenced by science fiction? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I don't know any scientists who are not uh, influenced by science fiction who don't love to see these potential worlds. I mean, in a lot of ways, whenever you're writing science fiction 
you're creating some potential future world. You're twiddling the knobs and saying, what if this? And then you describe it as best you can and as realistically as you can and say, this is what could happen. Striving for a realistic future world is exactly what the cinematic master Stanley Kubrick did for his landmark film, 2001, A Space Odyssey. I had the chance to talk to the two stars of the movie to see how Kubrick used science to create the realistic feel of a space mission to Jupiter. This is Keir DeLay, who played astronaut Dave Bowman. Well, it was very obvious that it was Stanley Kubrick being the genius that he was, that he was going to make the, the most effective guess about what the year 2001 would be. He, he had 40 or 50 corporations that he approached to make guesses in terms of their own specialties. And that everything you see in that film is a result of that kind of research. And it wasn't just companies that contributed to the realistic feel. Frederick Ordway was um, a very important figure with NASA. And uh, he brought Frederick Ordway on board as scientific advisor to everything that happened. So that was, that was an important move. It also helps when you have a world-renowned sci-fi writer who started out as a physicist working on the project. Well, Arthur C. Clarke was there because this, it was also based on uh, the, the novel that he had already written. And the screenplay was a co-production of Arthur C. Clarke and, and uh, Stanley Kubrick working on that together. So how did all of these scientific-minded people working together influence 2001? Gary Lockwood, who played astronaut Frank Poole, weighed in. So 2001 is a symbiotic combination of all those various technological people working, and then we come along and supply the astronaut. If you just sort of sit back and watch the movie, you really under... I mean, it's the first really realistic sci-fi movie maybe ever made. I mean... You know, you, sh- you, see, you see gravity, you see, you see us walking upside down, you see, and it's all just a natural, looks like a normal state, and it's not CGI, it's not games, it's not computer graphics. So writers and directors sometimes use science to give their stories a little more realism. Another way is how author Max Gladstone likes to take a new idea or theory and adapt it in unexpected directions to create whole new universes for his books. Well, I write fantasy novels mostly. Um, my first book, Three Parts Dead, came out last October, and my second book, Two Serpents Rise, is coming out uh, this October. So where do you kind of draw inspiration for your books? I draw inspiration from a lot of reading and a lot of conversations. A number of my friends are scientists, information scientists, and biophysics. Um, so talking with them, I get a ton of ideas that I can recombine and use in my work. Cool. Like how? What kind of ideas do you... Uh can you bring in? Well, the universe that I'm dealing with has a lot of gods that are running around, and some of them are dying and getting resurrected and so on and so forth. It doesn't sound like a situation in which you'd have much scientific relevance, but the way that I'm interpreting the gods in the world is that they're, um, they're network effects of the societies that uh, are sort of their constituent. So a bunch of people are getting together and building kind of a emergent, a network of which the gods become an emergent property. Emergence is a hot area of study in lots of fields, including science, economics, and sociology. In physics, it describes how new laws can seem to arise out of huge systems. And think about a bunch of water molecules. When you're dealing with just a few, they're pretty predictable, and it makes sense to talk about their individual interactions with each other. But when you get a whole bunch, like a big tank of water, new patterns start to emerge, like turbulence and flow. 
Computing the behavior of the water based on its individual molecules is impossible, so instead scientists turn to different sets of laws, fluid dynamics, to understand what's going on. Another way to think about it is that you can have um, complicated systems that start to have behavior that ends up being more typical of the system than typical of any one individual element in the system. And it's really hard to pinpoint the barrier between these sort of fundamental actions and this kind of larger emergent property of the system. That's one of the things that makes science fiction so cool, being able to tell a compelling story inspired by ongoing cutting-edge research. That's all for this week's Physics Central podcast. You can see some of our photos from Comic-Con at our website. There you can also find more of our podcasts, our Physics Buzz blog, resources, and so much more at www.physicscentral.com. Thanks for listening.